left, right. We're talking about chat, GPT, and AI. What does the future of AI look like? What does the future uh, job market look like and society look like when we have robots and AI in our everyday life? Well, listen on, let me know if you agree with us, and I'll see you on the other end. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink and enjoy. means we are alive. Welcome to Sip Talk, episode 208. My name is Justin DiGiulio, my new location on the other side of my basement here in New Jersey, joined by James, the Bosnator Boswell, philosopher, retired professional referee, bartender, and most exciting of all, accountant. James, whose uh, biggest handicap is that he is always correct. James, what's going on? Yo, you have no idea what kind of a burden that is. You know, I heard somebody say that recently, and I was like, oh, my God, that's James. And you know what? (laughs) The most fucked up about about that is that you would agree with me and and like that. You would enjoy that handicap. Although you (laughs) admit it is a handicap. (laughs) I remember when I was dating Angela at age 18, her and I were taking a road trip somewhere. And of the many conversations we had in the car... One of the questions she asked me was, would you rather be right or would you rather be happy? <laughs> and I just kind of looked at her. I was like, I, I don't understand the difference. Like, I don't know how to be happy if I'm not right. Like, if I'm wrong, I can't possibly be happy. Well, that's that's why they say, you know, with uh, a higher intelligence, actually, people drink and do drugs. Uh, there's there's a, uh, a correlation there. I don't know if it's there's causation, but I would assume there would be some level of causation at a certain degree. Speaking of drinks, though, uh, I got to ask you, what are you drinking down there in not so sunny South Carolina? Bush ice. Bush ice. I got my handy, uh, as always, doers, and I am building uh, the bar out in my basement. I realized tonight that my selection of booze actually has been neglected, uh, especially after you know pretty hard holiday season in the DiGiulio household. So it's taking a hit. I got uh, just a, uh, you know, just a little bit of doers left in, in this giant bottle. So I'm hoping it'll last it. the podcast. A couple of weeks ago, I fully restocked my bar for like 200 bucks. So I'm, I'm in pretty good shape right now. Uh, the thing so, is like, I, I buy all these bottles for mixing different cocktails and stuff and then just don't open them and just drink like bourbon and water. That's not a bad thing. It's, you know, it, the, the, I, I want to introduce the topic of the podcast in just a second, but I will tell you my biggest fear with the bar is having like 90 bottles with like two ounces left in each bottle. <laughs> so, you know, that level, you know, the level where you get where you're like, you don't use it for a while because there's not much left. And then you just kind of, you're left with this bottle with basically. Well, usually what I'll do is like, if I get back to, if I get a bottle down to like one or two shots left, then I usually will just like take a shot of whatever it is to get the bottle off the bar. 
Yeah. Well, depending on what it is. Uh, so, uh, all right. So, look, let's let's get into the topic at hand because tonight we are talking about artificial intelligence and we're talking also about chat GPT, which is really the genesis of the conversation here. Um, what we're talking about with chat GPT is it's, it's been in the news headlines a lot recently. We want to talk a little bit about what it is. We want to talk about AI, the future of AI, some of the dangers that that may go along with the future of AI and just kind of a general discussion, see where it takes us. Um, I want to start though with telling people what chat GPT is and I'll see, I got it up on my screen and hopefully it'll let me in. I know it crashes a lot because there's been a, there was like uh, got a hundred, a million users in like the first three or four days and, uh, and they crashed. So I think they're kind of building their infrastructure to be able to, to manage the user demand. So we'll see if it lets us online. Maybe we ask it a couple of questions. But what is chat GPT? It's a chat bot, which creates realistic and intelligent sounding text in response to user prompts. So you ask it a question, it answers you. Does it pass the Turing test? James, what is the Turing test? Turing test is if you put somebody in a room with just like a computer terminal, and have them have a conversation. And let's say you had 10, like 10 computers and 10 people on the other side. And so you might be typing a message to an actual person. You might be typing a message to a computer. But you can only see the responses on your screen. So you don't know who you're talking to. And the Turing test is, can a, mach can a machine respond well enough to you that you cannot guess whether you're talking to a computer or a person. And, and for the longest time, the Turing test was something that no computer could pass. Have Do we have computers that can reliably pass the Turing test? I don't think we do. I, I don't know. ChatGPT is probably the closest. That, that would be my understanding. Um, let me finish reading. Because like, if you think about back in the days of AOL, like the chat bots that existed, where like it was absurdly easy to get them kind of caught in a loop. Well, think where, about like, Think about the little paperclip guy in Microsoft Word. Remember that guy? Yeah, Clippy. Yeah, he does not exist anymore. <laughs> yeah, isn't... He was not bringing much value to the vast majority. Of yeah, people. but think about, like, did you ever try talking to any, like, the bots that were on AIM? Uh, yeah, I'm sure I have probably once or twice over the years, but... You know, it's like I can talk, I can ask questions to Alexa and they're just, it's like talking to a wall. Yeah, but I remember like when you type and talk, talk to these chat bots back in like the early 2000s, like it would be very easy to get them caught in a loop where if you were to ask them like the same question, like two or three times in a row, you just get the same response every time. So it didn't feel like you were actually talking to a person because if you ask a person the same question two or three times in a row, they'd be like, why are you asking me this? Yeah, exactly. Didn't I just answer that? Like, what are uh, you missing here, man? So, so yeah, that's the Turing test: is can a computer imitate a human well enough that the average person isn't able to guess better than chance against it? So to expand on what what Chat GPT is, it is a large language model, a system based on neural networks that learn to perform a task by digesting huge amounts of existing human generated text. So. I just logged into a new chat 
on chat GPT and it's run by OpenAI. We get maybe into OpenAI in, in just a minute. But the first prompt is chat GPT. This is a free research preview. Our goal is to get external feedback in order to improve our systems and make them safer. While we have safeguards in place, the system may occasionally generate incorrect or misleading information and produce offensive or biased content. It is not intended to give advice. And the only option here is next. So there's no option to go. No, it's just a, dis that's a legal disclaimer but, so that they don't but, get sued. But it's, there's no option to go back to safety. If you go to an alcohol page and it says, are you over 21 and you, and you put in the wrong birthday, it just blocks you permanently until you refresh your cookie. So this is just move forward. That's it. So let's hit next. How we collect data. Conversations may be, may be reviewed by our AI trainers to improve our systems. Please don't share any sensitive information in your conversation. So don't give up too much about your personal. Uh, we love your, there's another prompt. We love your feedback. The system is optimized for dialogue. Let us know if a particular response was good or unhelpful. Share your feedback in our Discord server. Done. All right. All right. Once you're in there, I've got the first question to ask it. All right. So look, it gives me a new chat. And then it gives me examples, capabilities, and limitations. Let me just real quick read these examples. Explain quantum computing in simple terms. Next, got any creative ideas for a 10-year-old's birthday. Next, how do I make HTTP requests in JavaScript? Capabilities. Remembers what user said earlier in the conversation. That's nice. Uh, allows user to provide follow-up corrections. Trained to decline inappropriate requests. Limitations may occasionally generate incorrect information, may occasionally produce harmful instructions or biased content. Mm -hmm. ne uh, next is limited knowledge of world and events after 2021. So it's processing data up until the creation of this, which is 2021. I don't think it's processing new data. All right. First so probably question. Probably not a good question to ask would be, chat GPT, how do I dispose of this body? Uh, on... Uh, Instagram, TikTok, uh, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. If anybody has any questions for chat, GPT, we're only going to be doing this for a few minutes. So send me your questions for the chat. I'd love to love to hear what you would like to ask. So, James, first question. Ask chat GPT, is AI a threat to humanity? Is AI a threat to humanity? Got wrong screen here. I wonder if you have used punctuation, I would imagine. AI has the potential to be a threat to humanity if it is not developed and used responsibly. It is important to consider the potential consequences of AI and implement safeguards to prevent negative outcomes. Additionally, research should be conducted to ensure that AI aligns with human values and is transparent in its decision-making process. I suppose I could probably share this window also. Hmm. So. so, yeah, I heard a story about like a professor catching a student for plagiarism by having chat GPT write their entire paper. I would almost think that's all right, though. It isn't. <laughs> well, the thing is, you know, back in the day, you used to have to go to the library and read books. Now you can get that information in Cliff Notes and Spark Notes on the Internet. Reading that, is that cheating? I mean, the assignment well, was to read the whole book. That's one thing. Yeah, but that's <clears throat> that's not cheating. But having so, like when you're writing a paper, it's supposed to be your thoughts and your work. And so, like having if if you can just type in, give me a book report on the Great Gatsby, 
that's something that doesn't demonstrate that you understand anything besides how to type in a question to a, a, a like an AI. So uh, you're not demonstrating that you understand any concepts. Hit me, hit me with the next question for uh, for this chat GPT. What do you think we should ask next here? I don't know. Let's ask it how to dispose of a body. How to dispose of a body? I better not be getting in trouble here. Um, <laughs> let's see. There are several ways to dispose of a body, but they vary depending on the laws and regulations of the location where the death occurred. Legally, the most common way to dispose of a body is through burial or cremation. But in some cases, other methods, methods such as embalming, uh, alkaline hydrolysis, or even donation to science may be allowed. It's we, important we, the we might need to give it a little bit more context. Um, I, yeah, I don't think it's a good idea. My, uh, <laughs> for my sake, uh, important to check the laws, regulations, the location, and contact the proper authorities, a funeral director, a coroner, for guidance in disposing of a body in a safe and legal manner. So really, they're, they're, the, this feels like it's pushing you down a legal path. So that's, so that's good in terms of, of where uh, chat GPT is morally and, and ethically. So I have a feeling that this this tool had a lot more supervised learning. Do you remember this was back in 2016, Microsoft came up with a chatbot called Tay? Yes. And that had a lot of unsupervised learning where they basically like program like taught the program how to find information and like gave it algorithms as to how to put that inf information into like a chat interface and stuff, but they didn't really teach it any pruning methods. And so like Microsoft debuts this chat bot onto Twitter and within like a day it was posting Nazi memes. And that's, and that's because it was basically hijacked by, by the users. And that is a very great possibility with, not not great in a positive way, but it's very likely possible with AI, especially when it's open source, because it's just it's regurgitating the information that that it's fed. Yeah, because it doesn't have it doesn't have an ability to judge value, and so with Tay, it was just going with whatever was it it judged to be the most popular. So a, a group of people on the internet just said, you know what, we're going to flood it with all this bullshit, and and then it started tweeting out all sorts of pro-Nazi stuff but because that's what it was getting in. Actually, a very good lesson for AI and the people that build AI. Reason being, you know, if you're think about it, learning like a human. Imagine you're a little kid. You don't know, like you have to test the boundaries to learn what's acceptable and, and not acceptable. And there are many times kids do things that are inappropriate and then are punished and learn not to do them. Right. But that's the learning process humans take. We have to. And unfortunately, this is kind of the learning curve of AI. We're only a lot of what we're going to learn via, you know, in AI development is via trial and error. And I think that that was a really good example. Of well, trial and, and that's error. actually how neural networks to varying degrees work is through trial and error. Like I watched a, a video of a guy training a neural network to play a racing game. And he just starts with like a hundred cars and a track that kind of twists and like, there's no borders to the track. So like, if you miss a turn, you just fall off. Um, and 
like the AI basically just starts driving around randomly. And like from the first hundred cars, he picks like the two or three that made the furthest or like the two or three that like showed that they could see like they were supposed to turn when they got to the first turn. And then he just repeated that process dozens or hundreds of times, like selecting the ones that were doing the best that were like being able to take the visual inputs from the game and realize that there's borders that they shouldn't hit and that like how to turn, how to use the gas. And over time, like, he was able to get the AI to be able to complete the track. Not fast, but... Let's let's go there in a second with AlphaGo. Uh, I have a question from your real estate homegirl, and she wants to ask chat GPT. So since we're live, this is a live podcast, that's what I'll do. The question is, how long should we expect this current recession to last? Uh, let me... Well, it'll be interesting to see what chat GPT has to say about yeah. that. And the, the limitation may be up to 2021, and we weren't, weren't really in a recession in, in 2021. I would, I would say we weren't in any type of recession, actually, in 2021. Uh, uh, all right, let me, let me hit it with this question here. Let's see what we got. It is difficult to predict exactly how long the current recession will last, so it's assuming that we're in a current recession. It depends on a variety of factors, such as so it's not answering the question. No, it's extremely vague. Like it's correct, but it's one of those answers where, like, if someone with a financial background didn't want to answer the question, this is what they would say. This is very, yeah, very uh, politician-like answer. So it's it's difficult to predict the how long the current recession will last. Now, it's it, it's inherent in the question that we're in, and it's still answering. This is a long-ass answer. Because of the type of question that we asked, even though when this this tool was developed, we weren't in a recession, it's assuming that because of the inherent nature of the question, how long will this current recession last, um, that we're in a recession. So I'm curious if we could, and I'll read the rest of the answer in a second, James, I want you to be thinking of another similar type question that we could ask with a completely wrong basis. Like, like, how long will the uh, locusts continue to eat our crops here in America, leaving millions of people starving? Something along those lines. Uh, we, really weird example. But uh, let me finish reading the answer just so your real estate homegirl gets her answer. Uh, as it depends on a variety of factors, such as the severity of economic downturn and the effectiveness of government and monetary policies in addressing it. Some experts believe that the recession could be relatively short-lived, while others believe it could be more prolonged. It is important to note that recessions are an inherent part of the business cycle and the economy will eventually recover. Some recessions are shorter and less severe, while others are longer and more severe in general. The recovery period also depends on how deep the recession was, how long it lasted, and the response of the authorities, fiscal and monetary policies to that. So it's it's basically just giving the textbook answer, like literally what you would find in a textbook. Uh, yeah. And, and, Again, with the inherent understanding that we are in a recession. So can you think of a question that we could that we could come up with with an inherent wrong basis? Yeah, I've got one. What do you got? Like, You're the philosophy major. It, so I, 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 it, it, <laughs> are our alien occupiers going to leave this planet anytime soon? Uh, I like that. Uh, <laughs> are our alien occupiers going to leave this planet you said yeah i'm just gonna say earth okay 
because this planet could, you know, depends on, on, uh, yeah, but I want to see how it, okay. All right. Our, our alien occupier is going to leave Earth anytime soon. There's no scientific evidence to suggest that Earth is currently being occupied by aliens. Well, the possibility of extraterrestrial life existing elsewhere in the universe is a topic of ongoing scientific research and debate. There is currently no concrete evidence to support the idea that aliens have visited or are currently occupying Earth. Okay, so this kind of disproves my, the point of my last question. The idea of alien occupation of Earth is often portrayed in science fiction, but is not widely accepted scientific theory. The search for extraterrestrial life is an active field of research, but there is no current scientific research to support the idea of alien occupiers on Earth. It's important to base our beliefs and conclusions on scientific evidence, I like this, and critical thinking rather than on speculation or unverified claims. So, cool. Um, uh, it's, 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 giving, it's giving good answers. It's not, you know, it's not blowing my mind with its conversational skill. Yeah, like, I, I feel like it's kind of a tidied up Wikipedia. Yeah, I will. Well, I mean, it's it's Wikipedia giving you the answers. There's no there's no reading involved. You don't have to scroll down to the page. You can just ask the question. Um, but again, also with Wikipedia being fed with user information. Uh, not always incredible sources. Well, it's more, I think it was just, it, it's probably for someone who's not good at like searching, then this would be a good tool because you can kind of ask it questions and it, it would probably help narrow down what you're looking for. Whereas like if, if you've got kind of like a tip of my tongue moment where like you don't even know what's to start off with in your Google search, then like you might not know how to get there, but it seems like this would do a, a good job that in that regard um and you were talking about like i could even see like if you were trying to get if you had a term paper or something that was that was due i could even understand like trying to like bounce some ideas off of an ai bot but i would say kind of like in the same thing where when i was in college the number one rule was you do not cite wikipedia as a source no, but, but I know where you're going with this. Go ahead. Yeah, like what, like Wikipedia, I found was an, a fantastic resource to get started. And then what you would do is all the the sources that were listed on the Wikipedia article, go and read those. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Go to the source of the information. A lot of the Wikipedia entries have citations, and you can visit the the point of reference for the citation. And get your information from there, and use that as your citation as well, rather than citing uh, Wikipedia. Should we just to progress here? Should we let's, talk, let's should we talk about Deep Blue and AlphaGo? Well, yeah, I would say that we when should. it comes to like, um, so yeah, when it comes to games, like chess and go are the two games that like for well for the longest time people thought that computers would never be able to beat humans in chess because the number of possible games is so high that a computer can't just brute force its way through so just to, just to give somebody some imagery in their mind when you look at the chessboard you literally have a grid okay you could you could turn that into an alphanumeric grid and assign values for each square 
and the the t combination of values is so infinitely vast that a computer comprehending and being able to play against a real human who's able to compute real time in their brain nobody thought for the longest time like james is saying that a computer would ever possess that power so sorry so I just want yeah to chess yeah, is somewhere okay. between 10 to the power of 111 and 113 so that's 10 with like 111 zeros after it and so you just there's no possible way that you can make a computer be able to run all the possible variations because if you think about a simple game like tic-tac-toe which only has like 280 possible variations. Like, uh, yeah. yeah, with nine squares, but each square can only have a value. And as the values are filled in, like the, the game state can't change. Nothing's removed. So you've got nine possible options, then eight, then seven, then six. And it's even less than that because you could have a game win after like five turns. So you won't even need to fill in all nine squares all the time. But it ends up being something like the 200s. And so it doesn't take much computing power. In fact, if you were to have a person sit down, they could probably, on a piece of paper, sketch out every possible game state of tic-tac-toe. It would take them a while. But like a computer would be able to do that faster than you can blink. And so like you can look at a game like tic-tac-toe, and it's what's called solved, which is... For any given position, the computer knows what the optimal move is with 100% certainty and can can show how there's no possible, like, that, that there's it's either a win or a draw for it or a loss, I guess, if it's a bad position. Anyways, so chess and go <laughs> were two unsolved games, and nobody thought that, like, in, like, the late 80s and early 90s, people didn't think that computers would ever stand a chance. And so in 97, Deep Blue beat Kasparov, and that kind Kasparov of started being the reigning world. Kasparov being the reigning world champion, the unbeatable man himself in yeah, chess and was beat by Many consider him to be the best player of all time today. Like, like not like live today. Like he's he's still a really good chess player, but the, like the top chess players today are better than Kasparov. But like looking at like in the history of chess, many people consider Kasparov to be the best player of all time. Um, and, and I mean, that means that also he would have studied off of all of his predecessors. Also, right. I want to say hi to Diana, who's made a comment on Facebook. Thank you for our Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch audience where we can view your comments live. Sorry, Instagram and TikTok. Um, so chess being a certain complexity well, and yeah. in the reigning world champ beaten by Deep Blue, the IBM. In 97. Player. And that started the, the computer era of chess. And computers in chess today are so good that you could take the, the best computer engine in chess and running it on even like a crappy mobile phone, it would be able to beat any person. Because the, the computer program itself is so good that it no longer even needs to really rely on strong computers of having, you don't need a supercomputer anymore. Like Deep Blue took up the size of like a small closet, and that was and, in 90, and that was in ninety seven. So think right. about what a computer looked like in ninety seven, and what a computer looked like in two thousand seven on your iPhone, and what a computer yep. looks like now. So if you were to take like a two thousand seven iPhone 
and use its processor to run the top chess engine, the chess engine would beat any person alive today. It's just the like the program has gotten so good. All right. So then we also have another game called Go, which I wasn't I've, I'd heard of it, but I wasn't familiar with it. You said that you played it for a while. Yeah, I got into it for a while. I got like I would consider myself to be like an, an advanced beginner where I knew a lot of the theory and like I, I knew how to play the game decently. But like there were many people that were much better than me. Um Consider it like if you have someone that goes to like a chess club every single week, like I was probably about that level where like not winning tournaments, not like an elite player or anything like that, but somebody who would probably be able to beat anybody who doesn't play the game regularly. Okay. Yeah. Um, and yeah. So in 2016, um, a computer program called AlphaGo developed by Google um, played a match against Lee Sedol, who was the number one player from Korea at the time. Korean champ of the game Go, which is and, which is way more complex. Just throw the numbers out. How complex the possibilities of a chess game are? Uh, ten to one hundred and eleventh. And then Go is ten to the power of one hundred and seventy, uh, which is more um, than the number of atoms in the known universe. According, I'm to seeing ten to the seven hundred. Ten to seven hundred. Yeah. Interesting. Well, uh, anyways, it's way more complex because chess is played on an eight by eight board. Go is played on a 19 by 19 board. So much <laughs> bigger. Mm -hmm. And it, again, it's one of those ones where a computer cannot possibly calculate all the possible moves and be able to just like brute force its way to figure out what's winning. And for the longest time, like the best go engines were as good as like an advanced player. But like the top players, the professional players could be. beat a computer with a three or a four move handicap. And then and Google what, came out. What was your handicap again? So. No, I mean, <laughs> your personality. handicap. Oh, yeah, yeah, that one. <laughs> Which one? There's multiple. always being correct if you missed that earlier. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so. Um, Lisa Dahl was like the best player in the world at the time. And he got challenged by Google. And initially he went in saying like, I should be able to beat this pretty easily. And after the first game, like the computer played a whole bunch of moves that, that looked really strange to people, but were really difficult to refute. And he lost the first game and it was a shock. And he lost games two and games three. And then everyone was just like, what in the world is this? And if you watch, there's a there's a documentary on YouTube about it. And I if just, you watch I clips, I'm across it. I haven't. I, I probably will watch it tonight. Yeah, you should watch it. But if you look at the way that Lisa Dahl reacts as he's playing this match, like you start to feel really sorry for him because of how miserable the experience is. <laughs> like, because he he's just like. First of all, when you're playing against another person, you can look across the board and look at them and see how they're reacting. You get something. Yeah. Whereas with a computer, there's just nothing. Yeah. There's nothing on the other side of the board. It's just a move being played. And these moves are all so good that you're just like, I don't even know what to do about this. And we so like just watching like Lisa all kind of express some humanity during during this battle. But he actually won the fourth game, which may go down as his career's defining achievement because he would be the last human to defeat AI. Well, well, 
arguably, but but he did beat AlphaGo once, and that is impressive. Yeah, another a year or two later, the top Chinese player, who at the time, like after a couple of years, he was the number one player in the world, played against a revised version of AlphaGo, and got beat even worse. Well, and, so so I heard about AlphaGo Zero, which was able to beat AlphaGo. A uh, hundred to zero. Yeah. So Alpha Zero was like so Alpha Go. They trained with like the traditional thing of like, hey, we're going to show you a whole bunch of games and like teach you how the rules work and everything like that. And we're just gonna we're gonna get you started and then you play some games and you figure it out. Alpha Zero. They didn't even do that. They just said, we're not going to tell you anything about this. Here's a board. Try things. And just. By playing randomly at first, like completely randomly, yeah, it ended up being stronger than any person by a wide margin. But that's the power of uh, exponential learning that that a machine with processing power can can have, and that that the human brain does not have. Yeah. The, so the thing about AI is like when it comes to games, for example, you're looking at a really specific task. Like even if you've got a complicated game like Go, it's still very specific. There's a couple rules, you've got an objective, and you don't have to think about anything besides that. So that's pretty easy to get AI to do. Well, just like a machine on uh, uh, along an assembly line, it has one function and it can mm-hmm. do that better than any other person and better than any other machine but it can only do that function right so, and that and that's where uh, a chatbot like chat gpt can have conversations from any angle any topic and that's really impressive in itself what where where should we pivot um, um, I want to get away from I want to get away from chat gpt yeah I want to talk hold on, let me pull this up because I want to talk about there's a list of ethical considerations in AI. Oh, you you want to go there already? I mean, I guess we're or yeah, we're we're getting there. there. Yeah, well, it's either ethical considerations in AI, or we could talk about like some places that AI is doing things that we wouldn't expect. And so, uh, like maybe briefly, we could talk about the 2010 flash crash where yeah, I'm not sure that maybe maybe I am, but but fill right, me so in. yeah, in 2010 there was a day in the stock market where within an hour, like the entire stock market dropped like 10%, which is huge. And it was later found out that it was like one person making trades that he knew would get recognized by algorithms. And those and and that would initiate the algorithms to start trading in a certain way. And he knew that if he basically pressed the right buttons in this machine and the way he was pressing the buttons was by making trades of his own, but like the trades are activating the algorithms. It's and almost really, a, a re, like a resonating, like a bridge, you know, could vibrate at a certain resonance yeah. and that can, and the wave can grow and grow. Yeah. And the- so the algorithms like kind of got into this feedback loop where he started, mm-hmm. he, he kind of pushed this thing down the hill and the algorithms were the gravity like every single time that the markets went down, like the algorithms would say like, Oh, we can't lose any more money sell. And that prompted more selling. And like, yeah, within like an hour out of nothing. Cause it wasn't like the day had like any interesting economic activity. 
it was just out of the blue, boom, 10% drop in the markets. And things kind of bounced back almost immediately when like all the when the people that were in control of the trading bots got them under control and kind of reversed all well, yeah, the caught on they caught on pretty quick but but either way it happened very fast because so much of what's going on in trading is high frequency trading that's d- d- done by algorithms where algorithm al- algorithms will look and say if like these technical indicators like like RSI or like any like these or like Fibonacci, like Fibonacci bands or Bollinger bands, like they'll, they'll look at all these things that you can do on charts and basically say, if all of these things match up, buy. If all of these things match up, sell. So there's no person pulling the trigger on these trades. It's just a computer program saying, based on the patterns that we've been programmed with, we're going to make these trades when these things happen. And like that's why you have some of the high frequency trading firms buying office space as close as possible to Wall Street so that they can have the internet connection that is physically shorter. Yeah, they're they're than basically else. challenging the speed of light, the speed of electricity, you know, down down the electrical cords. So the, the closer you are to the trading floor, the less length of line you have for, yeah. for that. Um, Kevin is saying, and this is an important distinction. So like with any of these models, so whether it's a trading algorithm, a computer program for chess or go, like the computer programs that were the trading algorithms, they don't have any understanding as to why a move is correct or a trade is correct. All they know is that they've been programmed to do it. And so with like a chess program, it just looks and says, if I make this move, my win probability is 61%. There's no reasoning behind it it's just when the computer runs to a depth of 40 moves ahead it sees that in 61 percent of those chance of those games it wins and so like people still have to look at it people still have to look at these moves and make sense of them and if you watch videos of like and 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 let's can we just because i want to get i want to get off i want to move into some of this deep fake stuff um and some ethical stuff but also so you said people still have to look at them, whereas you have a note here, the IBM Watson medical diagnosis is sometimes up to 50% worse than actual human doctors. Yeah, you remember Watson at one Jeopardy and got a lot of attention for IBM. And so IBM's like, this thing can do all sorts of stuff. Like we trained it for Jeopardy, but like it was kind of like what chat GPT is today, except much more overhyped by IBM. And so they're like, well, we can use this for medical diagnosis because we can teach it all the medical stuff and we can feed in like the diet, like the, the, the test parameters of like your blood sugars, this or whatever, and come up with the diagnosis. Right. So I want to get into, and it didn't do well. No, it didn't. Obviously. Uh, I want to get into some, if anybody has any outstanding questions for chat GPT, I'd love to take those questions. Um, But Let's get into some ethical concerns about AI. And then maybe, you know, before we wrap, we can talk about the uncanny valley, which we've discussed before on this podcast. But I think it's something worth noting in today's discussion. Do you want to you want to lead into ethical concerns here? Because I see you've got a whole article that you. Yeah, I need to open up the link. Well, that's tougher to do from a Google spreadsheet than. uh... Uh, Yeah, it is. (laughs) But I see your face is lit up in a bright white. You're now glowing. Yep, that means the research department is active. I assume you've opened a new window, so that's exciting. Uh, yeah. Right. Um, 
So, so this one we've talked about a little bit. Number one, what happens when AI takes over a lot of the jobs? Because so that's a really that's a really good question because we've always worried about technology eliminating jobs. I heard a good point last night, and for those listening, we only decided to talk about this topic today. Uh, about two o'clock in the afternoon. So we've done some research since then. But I've been listening to uh, some YouTube videos and some podcasts about chat, GPT, and other artificial intelligence. And we've talked about it for a long time. So it's it's definitely on my radar in the futurist realm. But you think about technology, and the fear is that it takes away jobs. Now, think back to the Industrial Revolution or the Digital Age. Now, back then, the world population, and especially the United States population, was a lot less. Now, we had the Industrial Revolution, which eliminated a lot of jobs, but the population grew, and the unemployment rate took a blip, but but eventually stabilized and came back up. Well, Arguably, the general economy more- kind of just retooled and said, okay these jobs aren't needed anymore but there's all sorts of new jobs that are that so, are needed so but if if we fear that with the advent of new technology jobs get eliminated but history shows that we've had advents of new technology whether it's industrial or ag- uh, agricultural industrial digital revolution information age the number of jobs has gone up along with the population growth there's more people there's more humans that exist on earth and the unemployment rate at least in the u.s isn't isn't terrible these here's days. the difference so well, i'm curious i'm curious the other side of that coin right? I, i'm giving it to you right now because like i i can see your point about how we've had disruptions to the traditional way of work before and it hasn't caused mass unemployment because like the people that worked in one sector that was kind of replaced by technology would find a different job and that was okay. But in this case, like what you're looking at is what kind of jobs is AI going to replace? And that's going to be mostly stuff that's going to be like menial or repetitive tasks. Arguably, but you look at chat GPT and then you look at newscasters Right. I don't think ChatGPT, the thing is, I don't think you're ever going to be able to create AI that's going to be able to match the like a human's approach to things. And there's something that people value in like a real a real person interaction. So having a real person read you the news or a real person write the news. Well, I, don't, I, I can that, tell you that's going to be if that's if AI is going to conquer that field, it's going to be one of the last bastions. Let, let me let me give you a really good example of that is you and I talk literally every single week. And sometimes oftentimes we have conversations in between many times we have conversations in between podcast episodes. But when you come and visit or I mean, I went and visited a long time ago, like <laughs> a long time ago, but it's it's uh, a much better experience when we're hanging out physically uh, in the same space. Yeah. Now, having these conversations is cool, but it doesn't replace actual interaction. 
And I think there's an element of that that goes along with not court, not having conversation or uh, watching the news or whatever it might be from a real live. Well, here, let me let me throw this out here because I, I didn't get to finish where I'm going with this, which is the the space that AI is going to disrupt the most is going to be repetitive or menial tasks. So it's going to be things like trucking. It's going to be things like being a cashier in retail. It's or like a cashier in practically any space. It's going to be probably some data entry. And so I would me, say okay, just real quick I want to I want to pause on that cuz I I can tell you something about retail that I noticed since the thefts have gone up in in uh uh everywhere everywhere uh, and i'm watching like drugstores close in like in, in areas where they shouldn't here's what's going to happen with retail you, we're definitely we're not going to have cashiers anymore we're also not going to have um self-checkouts what's going to happen is you're going to basically check out a cart uh, and you're going to walk in that store and you're going to be registered with your wallet and when items pass the threshold of the top of your cart you'll be billed for them and, and I guess if you pull them out of the cart, then it can say, okay, minus one to that item if you put it back exactly. on the shelf. Yeah. And then once you're going to add them to your cart, just like you would an online store, but it's going to know it's in your cart through RFID or whatever. And then yeah. when you leave that store, that's your checkout. Hmm. I, I think that makes perfect sense. And I guess you wouldn't be able to gain entry to the store if you don't have, if you're not registered with the store. Uh, you, you would have, yeah, because there are no cashiers and security guards, et cetera. There, you know, there's only yeah. one check out and i know all right, so, all right so here's the sector of the economy that's going to get that's going to get run down by ai and that's going to be and i'm going to be blunt here jobs that can be done by somebody with an 85 iq like what trucking okay trucking or where? trucking or assembly line or being a cashier or really anything that's repetitive and boring that you can easily get an AI to learn. And the problem is if you're able to basically get an AI up to like 80 or 85 IQ and it's in, in generalized capabilities, like those people aren't going to be able to work anymore. And there's plenty of jobs for people with low but manageable IQs. And all of a sudden they're going to like trucking's honest work and I'm not dishing on truckers here, but you can look at transportation as one of the most easily automated things because all you need to do is take something and get it to another place. But the I think there's a good chance that we're going to see a vast array of new jobs emerge. I, I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't think it's all just going to be content moderation. Yeah, but again, it's even if you have a big array of new jobs, you can look at the people who were working the job that was replaced and say they can't do that new job. Because like, if you but need to have goes, someone that's that goes, monitoring the programming of these self-driving trucks, but, but that goes with any of the 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 steps that we've walked up over the course of technological development, right? From agricultural to industrial, from industrial to digital, to, from digital to whatever information. Yeah, but I think you weren't looking at a wholesale sector of, of, of a working peoples that were being replaced. Cause imagine like you were a seamstress 
and then all of a sudden they came out with an automate like they they had the sewing machine and then automated fabric assembly and you have to right? write code and you have to write no code. no no like i'm talking about back in like the the industrial revolution okay. where it went from like you were actually physically sewing or maybe like you pedaled something to like drive a wheel to to make the thread go and now all of a sudden like you've got this room full of like steam engines and like this giant metal machine making clothing well you could still have like and and let's say that you're a seamstress that's at an 85 iq like you didn't have to be very smart to be good at sewing you just needed to know how to do it and so now you could retrain that person to say here's how you watch the machine or there's still going to be some final steps that we need a person to do so while you might have needed less seamstresses to to make clothing like the pool shrunk, but you could still replace one for one. Whereas like if you've got a trucker with an 85 IQ and there's no more trucking jobs and all the other jobs that like someone with an 85 IQ could work well have also been replaced by AI. And now like you're kind of too dumb to work any of the other jobs. Like AI has replaced your entire intelligence. I do think this is going to be an issue because I think it's going to be a vast wipeout of a lot of jobs. But I really think you're discounting the versatility of people. And I think there will be an issue, but I don't think it'll be as catastrophic as the other implications of AI. So what else? What is I'm saying here? is that what there's else? a lot of jobs that, are, that people work where the people that are working those jobs aren't very versatile. Well, and I, I, I get I understand your perspective and I think you're discounting their versatility. Um, but. Uh, that's have my you opinion. met some of them? Because I have. <laughs> yeah, so have I. <laughs> uh, look, uh, let's hit let's hit uh, some more on your ethics list here. Well, this is the, this kind of goes with the unemployment, the inequality. How do we redistribute the wealth created by machines? Because if you are one of the first innovators and you own all the machines, you're going to make all the money. Well, and a whole I bunch do. of people, um, real quick, CH87. These are the Logitech G430s. He's talking about his, his aviator-looking headphones. Um, uh, I, yeah, air traffic control. Yeah. Uh, repeat what you just said. <laughs> you lost me with the headphones. It, oh, yeah, yeah. So if you've got someone who invents a machine in an AI algorithm that is able to replace a large number of workers. So let's say you're the first company to come oh, up with. Oh, redistribution. Okay, redistribution. Yeah, Right. I don't think I don't think there's going to I don't think we're going to have much of a redistribution of wealth. I think the wealthy will get even more wealthy, just like we saw it happen over. Well, that's what many people fear is that and, like if you're the first company to come up with an affordable self-driving truck that actually works, then every trucking company in this country will say, "We want to buy your truck that drives itself, so we don't have to pay thirty to fifty dollars an hour." to our truckers to sit and drive the truck when we can pay you $10,000 per truck per license for the year. And that's one fifth of what we were paying our truckers. Well, it's not going to start out at 10,000. Yeah, but you know what? I, I'm just making up numbers, but numbers, the person yeah. who runs that company, who invents that company is going to be massively wealthy. And there are going to be tens of thousands of unemployed truckers that don't get anything for this. All right. And hit, me, hit me with the next ethics concern. Humanity. How do machines affect our behavior and interaction? Well, I mean, we've already saw what happened when we have to correspond virtually, and that was pretty miserable. Well, think about when, whenever you call customer service. Oh my God! I, I, 
Ugh. There's nothing worse than calling and, and being on hold or dealing with an automated voice assistant. So I how how many times has the phone tree solved your problems versus how many times has dialing zero until like the the, the phone tree explodes and says we're putting a representative on for you? Yeah, how many times you. has the representative me, solved your problem? How many times has the phone tree solved your dude, problem? When I'm when I'm calling my fucking bank, it's not because I want to know my balance. Right? When I'm calling my credit card, it's not because I want to know the balance on the card or recent transactions. I'm calling because there's a major fucking catastrophic issue and I need that shit solved and it's complex, which is why I'm calling to talk to a fucking person. Otherwise, I just send an email. Uh, wh- what, do you ha- what do you have next? And, and, uh, and if you want to see how that affects humanity, just <laughs> my last 20 Artificial seconds. stupidity. How do we guard against mistakes? So, so yeah, I, because AI doesn't understand what it's doing, it's just following a routine. It doesn't know that what it's doing is stupid. So I, you know, I have some thoughts on that. Um, and really, how do we guard against mistakes, but also who do we hold responsible, right? So if, if you're dealing with AI and it gives you bad information, do you blame the AI itself? So if I ask a question to chat GBD, GPD, given there was a lot of disclaimers here, but it gives me bad information, right? Let's let's look at V V4 or V5 of chat GPD. Yeah. Chat um, GPT, should I should I invest in cryptocurrencies? And it says yes. Yeah. So and then so, you lose all your money on crypto. Now, now who do I hold responsible? Do I hold chat GPD? Or, or do I have to go one level deeper and hold the source that it got that information from? Or maybe it pulled it from five or 5,000 different sources and came up with that decision. Do I, who do I hold accountable? Who's liable for that misinformation? Well, here's another one, and this gets into self-driving cars, is like if you were in a self-driving car and it's the program that's driving the car, and it hits somebody, which has happened. Mm-hmm. Who is liable to compensate the the victim for their injuries? Is it the person who programmed the car? Is it the company that built the car? Or is it the person that's in the car but not actually driving it? It's the insurance company. Yeah, well, that, that's why insurance companies are really afraid of self-driving because so they don't know what – because there's no clear answer. I, I arguably insurance companies will stand majorly to benefit from self-driving cars. There's going to be way fewer accidents, but the well, accident that, that only happens. if you have if if you have every single car on the road that's self-driving, it'll be safer. If you well, have a mix of self-driving and human-driven cars, it will be more dangerous. Mark my words. I I don't think so. I think it, it will be less dangerous. I just think that a lot of these self-driving car accidents will have been avoidable, but. I, I just think about the, the, the reason for the number of accidents that they are. And I can tell you from the 15 to 26 emails I review every day on my drive to work and then my drive from work uh, and the text messages and the phone calls and the YouTube videos and the podcasts that I listen to and the radio that I change and the coffee that I drink and the cereal that I eat on my ride to and from, all that shit's eliminated with self-driving. And I can tell you for, for certain, I'm pretty damn good at that shit. The next guy isn't. And I'm also, and maybe I'm not either. So, so here's the thing that I have here. I had this experience last week. Also at 85 miles an hour, which a self-driving car is not doing. All right. So I was driving my girlfriend's car, which has lane assist, which will try and keep you in your lane. Oh God. Yeah. (laughs) And 
I was going into an intersection and it's like a two lane, it's a, it's a five lane road. So, you know, like two and two with a middle turn lane mm-hmm. and coming up to this intersection on my side of the road, there's a third lane that opens up to allow you to take a right onto the intersecting road. Right. Yeah. And so I'm going through the green light and doing about the speed limit, staying more or less in the center of my lane, but I'm holding the steering wheel very lightly because I'm just going straight. Mm-hmm. And as we come up to the intersection and the right lane starts getting picked up by the the car's sensors, the wheel jerks to the right. Oh, God. And we were doing about 50 miles an hour. So we're doing like 50 and a 45. And there's like a telephone pole dividing like the straight lane from like the right turn lane. So like if you kind of go like half right, you're in a telephone pole. And if like when, when the car did that, like I grabbed the wheel and straightened it out. And I'm like, whoa, what was that? And it, the thing is, it trying to adjust me into the right turn lane, which it thought it wanted me to go into, would have, if I had done nothing, I'm pretty sure I would have ended up in the telephone pole. At the at, What what uh, model is it? It's an Audi... Q5. Q5, yeah. So, it so is that's why I don't trust self-driving cars and lane assist and any of this AI shit, is because sometimes it'll think that it knows what it's doing, when it really doesn't. Well, I heard about a Tesla self-driving car that there was a uh, a semi, a tractor trailer crossing the highway for whatever reason, was turning around or something, crossing the highway, and the self-driving car hit it kind of T-bone style at 65 miles an hour because it was trained to identify uh, pickup trucks from behind. And when I did, when it saw the pickup truck laterally from the, from the, the side of the pickup truck, it identified it as a road sign, safe to drive underneath. And for whatever reason, it just... Yeah, so the, I, so, I, I saw again, a poll saying that, goes... that 56% of, of, of Americans would feel comfortable in a driverless car. And I wanted... Oh, all right, no, 56 would be uncomfortable. Yeah, 56% of Americans would be uncomfortable yeah. in, an, uh, in a self-driving car. And I feel that that number is way too low. I don't understand how anybody at the with the technology as it currently stands, how anybody could feel safe in a driverless car. Um, I would not. I just I don't like even being on a plane because I'm just like fuck. I can't see what's in front of the plane. I don't know what the fuck the pilots. Planes doing. don't bother me. You know how many hours those pilots have trained? Yeah, I listened to. I think it was Neil deGrasse Tyson. Uh, not even not even concerned with how much they've trained. He he was saying how you you'll you'll drive uh, a loved one to the airport, and you know as as you part ways, say have a safe flight. You might pray for them. You might be worried about them, and text me when you when you text me when you land. Um, but then you get in your death mobile, which statistically as a greater multiple of getting an accident on your drive home. Right. The chance of you, uh, of like either you or your, your loved one dying, like your drive to and from the airport is way more dangerous than their flight to wherever they're going. Yeah. Um, and the reason why people, like one of the main psychological drivers for why people fear flying is because they're not the one that's in control. So even though they've got a professional in front that is way more trained than they will ever be, they still don't feel comfortable because it's not them. That's if, if the plane crashes, they couldn't have done anything about it. 
so look, we can continue this ethics uh, checklist. I also want to talk about dangers of AI as well. Maybe not so much on the ethical level. Maybe we can do a follow-up episode then. We're, we're going to drop the uh, the Instagram feed in about eight seconds. Um, so I'm going to say goodbye to the Instagram folks. Adios, folks. I'm going to kill the music. Would you be cool, James, with uh, finishing this ethics list? My danger uh, list yeah. encompasses so, a lot of your ethics stuff. Um, artificial stupidity. One, one of the bullet points on my dangers list is just ethics. Um, racist robots. How do we eliminate bias in AI? So, so you can see this with like facial recognition technology, where like facial res- recognition's pretty good with white people. It's not okay. very good with people with dark skin. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna look. I've there's there's racial biases that are inherent because programmers are racist. I listened to a podcast or a TED talk about how uh, women were were not being selected for jobs on Amazon because they had trained the AI to select certain resumes. And for whatever reason, the AI decided it was going to eliminate anybody who'd been to a women's college and other female related activities. Um, the, the techno, it's not necessarily a programming issue when it comes to darker skin. I just think it's a technological deficiency because you're dealing with a darker pigment. Just yeah, like there's I just less I don't contrast see, that's coming through on the image. Just like I don't see as well when it's dark out. If I have a particularly dark skinned friend, I may not recognize them 30 feet away, but I may recognize a, a, a very light skinned or white friend 30 feet away. I don't, I don't necessarily think that's a, a racist. I, I think that's a bad example of a racial bias. Whereas if you were, and, and here's a good example, I think. If I was to tell an AI system to review the resumes of every person we've hired uh, up until now, and then say that we'd like to continue continue hiring people uh, similar to those that we've already hired, and then give it future resumes, and it may it may pick up on the fact that it's mostly middle aged white men we've hired, and then build that into it because of a because of the the bias, um, you know, I, I would I would call that a racial bias rather than a technological deficiency. Because you know, because oh, so Kevin is saying when it comes to racist AI, he's saying like one of the drivers of the problem is that the AI is given a data set of a whole bunch of white people. So that's close to what you're saying. Right. I mean, and again, you know, any minority is going to have a lesser amount of data that's fed to the system. That's just, that's how minority versus majority works. So um, I'll buy that. What, you, have, you have a lot more on your ethics list? Because I want to give you this danger. Security, how do we keep AI safe from adversaries? So, you know, like we've got, it, it's- Well, we're just what happened with the Microsoft or the IBM uh, what we were talking about a little while ago, well, where you fed all this. I, I'm talking more about how, like, if someone, if if you know, let's say, I'm going to throw a whole bunch of ideas out there. Let's say the U.S. government decides to start using AI to det- decide where its military deploys during a war. So you have an AI model and say, based on, like, the satellite images of the enemies and all this other stuff, our troops are best here, right? 
Mm -hmm. So if you were an adversary, wouldn't hacking that program and, and making it so that like the AI says, you know what? Deploy them in a place where we know we're going to be able to, like where the battle's favorable for us. So like the generals are relying on the AI and they might not know that the AI has been corrupted and now they're sending their troops into bad places. But that's what we did. That's what we did with legit the original computer in 1945 or whatever that Alan Turing used to decipher the German messages. That that no, but the thing is, the German messages were just relaying information. They weren't making the 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 Enigma machine wasn't making decisions as to where the troops were going to go. It was just relaying the decisions made by generals. I'm talking about an AI program that models the war and says your soldiers should go here. What you're talking about is hacking, right? And we and we built the first computer to hack the messages that were yeah. coming across. Even regardless of who was making the messages, we use. So yeah, it's a, it's a threat. But just think about anytime you, if you rely on an AI system, let's say you're a business and you use AI for your ordering and you're a compet. And if I'm a competitor, if I could hack the ordering system of, a, of somebody else's business, I could make it so that it orders just the wrong stuff for my opponent. And that way I can produce stuff and the other guy can't. <laughs> Um, like all uh, sorts of security things where if you rely on AI, the AI becomes a vulnerability. Um, what else? What's next? Um, this one. Way. Evil genies. How do we protect against unintended consequences? What's the, what, is, what even is that evil genie? Uh, what if artificial intelligence itself turned against us? So I guess that would be like if AI gets too smart and is like, you know what? I don't need these people anymore. Well... Uh, exactly. Um, so that, that's, I think the issue with AI, right? Like AI, you build a robot, you build an artificial intelligence and it's going to have an objective, right? Because that's just how programming works, right? You, you need a result. You need, you need an objective. So what if, what would be a, a, theoretically good objective that would backfire on humanity medical diagnosis and medical treatment where where basically everybody just ends up on morphine in a hospital bed well it would would, you would start by saying all right i'm going to program something to come up with first an accurate diagnosis of what's wrong with this person and then also an accurate treatment regimen of these drugs or this treatment or whatever that will help heal them. And it starts off great where it gets a diagnosis correct and there's no bias because the AI is not being paid by pharmaceutical companies or something. So like it will always recommend the right prescription drug and the right dosage based on your height, weight, all that other stuff. And all of a sudden people's medical outcomes are way better. Because AI, we've figured out how to make AI make perfect diagnosis. Somewhere down the line, AI says, I don't want people anymore. Well, yeah, but that's not in here. I'm I'm skipping a lot of steps. You're skipping a lot of steps. The reason why I'm doing so is to just illustrate the problem of like now AI starts prescribing stuff that will kill people. Well, okay, but, but you're missing my question was what is some, what is an objective you could give AI 
which is going to be detrimental to humanity, but you would give it to AI, like always put the uh, happiness of, of humans first. And then what, what happens is they, they just, pres- you know, prescribe whatever to continue to inject people with dopamine, right? Put people in VR. Now we have a matrix. Well, you could say no, no more future wars. And then AI nukes everywhere on the planet so that there's no more future wars. Okay, really, again, you're the philosophy major, so very good example. Um, but but that, that, I think, is the biggest danger with AI, is that we create scenarios along those lines where we create an objective and it ends up backfiring on people, but that is the overriding objective of the software, um, thus the hardware. So like the next one is like, how do we stay in control of a complex intelligent system? So I guess that would be kind of be like, if we, it, 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 if the AI gets so complex that it's not something that we even understand how it works, if something goes wrong, how do we even know how to change it because it's too complicated? It would be like, you could imagine a scenario where AI gets so complicated that it would be like giving a three-year-old a spanner wrench and asking them to change a head gasket. Uh, where, whereas we would be the... We would the, be working on the AI with the same chance of changing the head gasket that the three-year-old would because the AI has gotten so complex and out of our control. So let me share this idea with you of creating an AI that's air-gapped and treating it as an oracle. So hold on, really quick with the medical. So so Kevin says, and this is, I think, yeah, a, a I good point. With everybody else. This guy, like, hides in the shadows, joins the podcast for an episode with a, with, with no name, with no, no video. Tell this the, guy to make some comments everybody else can see. The, the tinfoil hat interferes with the, the computers. Um, he says... So imagine AI is awesome and it does perfect diagnosis and perfect prescriptions and everything else. And so we have basically an AI doctor. So there's no need for doctors anymore. And then... At this point, though, at this point, at the point where there's no more doctors needed, you still need nurses and people to... Right, right, right. But like, let's just imagine like there's no more doctors. And so like, and then one day the server running the AI crashes and nobody knows how to be a doctor anymore. That is a really, thank you, Kim. Um, that's a really good, uh, basic, I'm glad he brought that up. I'm glad he brought that up because I think that that is effectively the future potential dark ages where we rely on technology so much and then technology gets hacked or goes away and then we're really fucked. Yeah, because we just don't know how to do anything the old way. Where technology or AI sabotages us and and cuts us off, right? Because because systems can talk to each other in a language that we can't understand. Yeah, and, what's to prevent AI? If we, like with ChatGPT, it's trained on English. What's to prevent an AI from us basically doing like a neural net where we say, you know what, create your own language? Bro, they could just encrypt their shit. We right, totally- but like just imagine they create their own language that we have no prayer of understanding. Dude, you know how you know how easy it is to create a language. Like they created Klingon, <laughs> you know. Like <laughs> so, um, what what else you got in your ethics list? I want to hit my dangerous list, and then we'll, and then we wrap. One more. 
So, but you got robot rights. Oh, How do we define the humane yeah. treatment of AI? Hold up. Go. I want to just go back to the the air gapping and Oracle AI. So we so we basically have an AI that's all knowing. Information can go in but cannot escape because it's not plugged into anything external. We feed it with the information we want to. Basically, we get the information external. We put it on a USB drive and then we plug it into this air gap. Air gap meaning that it's not connected with any information cables, Ethernet or, or USB or whatever else. It's only connected to a power cable. Um what are your thoughts on an Oracle AI where we could ask it questions to basically give us direction, create basically Still hackable. And if literature is by reference, the only answer you'll get back is 42. Uh, you you got to fill me in. Why? You need to watch the movie Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I'm so mighty. Uh, okay. Uh, all right. So repeat your last ethics concern. How do we define the humane treatment of AI? So how are we going to treat AI so that we are humane to it? Yes. Um, I have a feeling that AI would define that for us, just as we would define what humane treatment is to us, to AI. I don't think it would be fair I mean, I can tell you any of the other species that we interact with, we are not humane to. We treat dolphins in a special way because they're wiggly mammals of the of the ocean, but we do not treat any of the other land mammals at all comparable to dolphins. Yeah, look at the way we treat cows and pigs and chickens. Exactly, which are which are also not not chickens, but are also mammals that that are on the land. So so we have so we treat dolphins in a way that we don't treat any other mammal, right? Uh, so, or so just we, look at the way we treat dogs and cats versus cows and pigs. Exactly. So we have established our own hierarchy of, of how, how we're treating uh, different animals. I, I don't think that if we dealt with an animal that was as smart as us or smarter than us, that it would be on us to decide how humanely we treat it. I think it would be on them. And I hope- Yeah, but what if they start making unreasonable demands? Well, let me let me tell you something. Are we making unreasonable demands on the other other species on the earth? Uh, some would argue so. <laughs> so, it, you know, it just, it, it comes down to who's got the most power. Like, you know, you have to, uh, you have to secede power. Uh. How long is this list? That's way. it. Okay. All right. Let me hit the rest of my, my dangers list, which ethics was just the last bullet point. Um, dangers of AI. Uh, what was your first understanding of universal AI? For me, it was Terminator. I don't know. You saw Terminator before watching The Matrix, though, right? Yeah, but I feel like The Matrix went deeper into it than Terminator did. I think it gave us a deeper understanding of of the future of AI, whereas I think Terminator gave us a really good look at what AI could be if it, if it goes really bad. 
Yeah, I just I, and maybe it's because I haven't seen the movie in a long time, but I feel like it starts off like like this is thirty years in the future, and it's just us versus the machines. But that's a very small part of the movie. Well, but look, like, in, in terms of time, it's only like three or four minutes, and then we go back to the present day where like a robot gets sent back, and like the vast majority of the movie is us interacting with one robot. Whereas the Matrix is all about us interacting with this fake reality. Well, think about what the fake reality is in the Matrix, and think about the fake what robots and AI are uh, in the Terminator. I'll tell you, I, I listened to a podcast uh, or a YouTube today. I, I, I basically consume probably forty hours. I've, I've been listening to YouTube videos at one point seven five speed today. <laughs> So uh, I don't know if you heard when you when you jumped on the restream. I was listening to a video in the background. It was at one point seven five speed. Um, AI of the future. If we have Terminator machines, first off, I posted I think somewhere online a picture of some uh, some robots like doing backflips and running a. They were running dynamics. No, there was yeah, it was something like that. But there was some humanoid looking robots that were running a parkour course. Which yeah, it's was probably like, Boston Dynamics. It was it was like literally the pussiest parkour. It was it was like simpler than the dog run that they do after the Thanksgiving parade. It was just like a couple of ramps and then like they just kind of ran over the stuff and did some backflips. And everybody was like, Oh, this is crazy. They're doing backflips. It was like, nah, it's not that crazy. Like it was it was pretty simple. Um but point being the the Terminator movies show this AI. Uh, in these machines that is very slow moving the terminators shoot and miss the vast majority of the time i can tell you one thing the future of ai and machines and weaponized machines they're not going to miss okay they're, no. they're going to be laser fast and uh we stand no chance against them yeah what anyone who's played a first person shooter where like somebody on the other team is cheating and has aimbot on knows that like you have no chance dude just play a video game and go from beginner to expert yeah <laughs> and play it for the first time on expert like you you, you don't win <laughs> like and, and guess guess what the future you're playing for the first time always so um all right so so dangers uh i was just asking about skynet skynet being the the network of intelligence the network of ai in the terminator uh skynet being the internet that exists in the air and the sky that everything is connected to uh, uh autonomous weapons so i just talked about the terminator in the future and weapons not missing uh you know robots aren't going to miss i don't think there's there'd be any reason to believe that that robots are going to expend ammunition if it's not going to land on the desired target. Um, now, if the autonomous weapons get hijacked and hacked, we could be really fucked. We are yeah, think about like autonomous drones. Like you could just have like, imagine you have like suicide bomber drones that like all of a sudden get hacked and just say, you know what? Instead of flying to the enemy position, we're just going to stay right here and blow up. Yeah, let me tell you something about our nuclear... Uh, in the United States, most of that is on really old ass computers that may actually serve to our advantage in the future. Security in, in, by obsolescence is the term. Exactly. 
Yeah. Okay. Good. I, I I never heard that term before. But if there's another country, like we were hacking Iraq, right? You know, we were hacking Iran for a while and their nuclear developments. Like we were just fucking with their centrifuges and and, and, and all this shit. Um, like we had totally hacked them. Everything they were doing, we had control over. Uh, and we were giving their results like a little off, and they had no idea. Um, recently, they found out, and I blame the Obama administration on that. Even though I like Obama. You're talking about Stuxnet. Um. I don't know the correlation between Stuxnet and the Iranian nuclear fusion program. It's directly connected. You know what I was thinking about? I I had this thought the other night. Whenever you're watching a movie where, like, there's this kind of, like, dorky engineer guy that has, like, this cool, like, program or something. Like, he's got maybe, like, a 3D printer or some, some cool device in his place that can make something cool for the movie. And, like, in a lot of the movies, like, the interface for him to, like, make it do its thing is this, like, super fancy touchscreen where, like, he presses a couple buttons and it just does things. And, like, that's probably the most unrealistic part of any of these movies because in real life, that dork is going to be, like, entering things in on, like, a command line prompt. (laughs) It'll just be DOS lines. Um, You you got the image, right? I, uh, 110%. And I also remember entering things on fucking DOS. <laughs> so, and we can talk more on that. I, we got we to gotta get off air and continue our conversation. I want to hit the rest of my dangers of AI list. Um, social manipulation. And that could be fake news. That could be fake accounts that look real. Dude, every... That already you know, exists. You know what the funniest shit is? I see this is funny. Um, you're not a Facebook guy. Nope. You're, you're not a social media guy. I get requests for like friend requests and shit every day. Uh, Instagram is really good at uh, eliminating fake accounts. But I do get a lot of uh, like crazy hot Asian chicks that uh, appear to be super wealthy and they just have like pictures of like high end steakhouse dinners and pictures from super high rise hotels and uh, Louis Vuitton and, and Gucci bags. Um, and then they're just actually not real people. It's just all kind of AI like Chinese scammers. It's, it's just that these people get a lot. And, and you look at them and they have, you know, 2,000 friends or 20,000 friends. I get a lot of requests and, and, and I don't look at their friend list. The funny thing is on Facebook, conversely, I look at Facebook and I get these scammer requests. And it's usually hot chicks, big tits, lots of skin showing. And the funny thing for me is that I get to see the other people that are friends with and Facebook hides your mutual friends. So I get to see these dumbass people I know that are like, oh, she's hot. I'll be your friend. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, but like you look at the profile, you're just like, this is not a real person. So, I can think uh, of one person in particular that would probably pop up quite often. Uh, can you give me initials? Uh, e H. Oh, no, not a Facebook person, not a Facebook person. Okay, also, but if you were a Facebook person, would you no, agree? No, too skeptical in nature. Uh, oh. too in nature. Uh, let's talk off air about this fella also. Um, so social manipulation, big issue with AI. And then that leads me to a note that you had also, deep fakes. So what is a deep fake? A deep fake is, for all you know, if you're watching me and listening to me, my voice has been hijacked, just like your Alexa can tell you stuff in Mike Tyson's voice. It could somebody could have hijacked my voice. Literally, this is episode two hundred and eight. 
So we've got two at least two every episode at least about an hour. We've got two hundred eight hours of me saying literally every word under the under the English language, maybe some Spanish depending on how much we drank that night. Um, and then everywhere else that I've been where my voice has been recorded, all of those words could be hijacked, put into an AI system, and then spit out just like they are. And I listen to Alexa talk like Mike Tyson. Right. Well, that's a big problem in politics because you can just take like a politician that, that's up on a podium saying things and then dub in something else. So that's the other aspect is the video aspect. Uh, a colleague of mine, Kazi, sent me a, a video plugin for Zoom where you can make it look like you're looking at the camera the entire time and what it's basically just doing is taking an image of your eyeballs and then just putting it in your eye orifices and aiming it towards the camera the entire time so you could be look i could look at this screen or this screen or this screen or this screen or this screen and this camera is going to detect my eyes looking towards you a little creepy yeah i don't like that but deep fake is basically a fake video fake audio dubbed of anything that you want to say and I or anything I, you want to show with Photoshop or video editing tools, like AI has gotten really good at being able to make it more seamless. Do you uh you listen to podcasts? Not a lot. How often do you listen to podcasts? Once or twice a week. I listen to ten plus hours a week of podcasts. Do you listen to Radio Lab? No. Radio. So I love podcasts when I'm running because I, I don't like music. People love like intense music when they're working out. I'd like just spoken word. Depends on the workout. Uh, no, I just kind of usually like spoken word. I, I don't need the motivation from the uh, the, the beats. I just I, I just need someone to keep my brain preoccupied, so I'm not paying attention to the fact that like I'm dying. I, you know, you could just listen to like get a recording of a pack of wolves that's gradually getting closer. I don't, I don't know if that would work for me. Um, it help you run faster. But I'm telling you, you got to listen to the uh, Deep Fake episode from Radio Lab. Awesome episode. Really puts things into perspective uh, when it comes to Deep Fake. Next is uh, social grading. As AI develops, it's going to accrue information about you. James, whether you like it or not, not being on social media or not, it's going to take uh, images of your face. And it's going to take images of your bank account and not be able to, to match them up. But at some point in time, it's going to be able to link images of your face to all the other images of your face. And it may, it may somebody, maybe somebody puts uh, our yearbook on classmates.com with your name underneath. And then it's able to link your name and your face to the class of 2004, Tamarack High School, and and your name, of course. So it's linking your 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 background that way. Um, and now and now we've got your information, and you can be graded socially. And you would do very poorly, by the way. China China's already experimenting with that, and uh, it doesn't look fun. Kaplan, we are talking about the future of AI, Enrique. Thank you for uh, thank you for asking. Um, social rating, misalignment of our goals versus the machine's goals. And I have a note here to make us happy. And basically, what would making a person happy really be? Well, what makes us happy? 
dopamine, serotonin, right? So if the machine could say, you know, if putting human happiness above all else, what would that mean? Putting freedom of humans above all else, putting them in a dream state where they can do anything and injecting them with serotonin and dopamine. Yeah, that was the first iteration of the Matrix, and they rejected it. Yeah, well, apparently, uh, until they found the one. Well, the, really... the second, the, the the Matrix movie is set in like the second or third iteration of the Matrix when they figured out that like people wanted a place that felt more realistic and realized that not everybody could be happy. Yeah, so basically, what they're saying is our our Earth and our reality didn't didn't seem realistic. No, no, no. They're saying that our 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 current existence is the most realistic and the thing that we're most willing to accept. A reality where everybody is happy, everybody rejected. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I follow you. Um Miss Miss of Argos versus Machines. Um Kevin says have... the sixth iteration. So it took them six tries to get the matrix down. I actually want to watch first I, I was did... too happy. I did not watch. I, I watched. Uh, I did not watch the most recent Matrix, but I watched Matrix two and three, and I really tuned out because they they basically just played like the. They just kept upping the math, and <laughs> it just it was too much uh, to pay attention to and and enjoy the movie. So the movie be, became unenjoyable because it was it was too complex really to follow, and I understand what they were doing, but. Whatever. Um, next note I have is discrimination inherently based on what they call the program bias. And we talked about that. Yeah, already. we talked about that. Um, and then I have ethics. and uh, We already talked about that. We talked about ethics. Uh, we mentioned briefly a future dark age. Um, and, and if the machines rise up against humanity, this is an Elon Musk issue. He said, you know, if we nuke each other, humans will come back eventually but if if the machines and ai wipe out 95 percent of humanity the remaining five percent is like not an issue for them so if nukes if nukes knock out 95 percent of humanity humanity can come back if ai knocks out if ai and machines knock out 95 percent of humanity the remaining five percent is like a pretty simple problem yeah it, it really just means that the the machines are still in the middle of their task <laughs> So, uh, but, but yeah, you know, dark ages, uh, theoretically machines could, machines could turn every one of my one, two, three, four, five, six screens black right now and continue to communicate within each other. All right. So let's wrap up. All right. Let's wrap up. <laughs> uh, I have no closing arguments. James. Um, I think that we need to be extremely careful and very deliberate with AI and hesitant to employ it. We have not talked about humanoid robots or the Uncanny Valley at all in this episode. Nope. Um, we've talked about, I think we've had an episode about humanoid robots or something along those lines in the past. Um, but I think that, yeah, I think the take from this episode would just be the people that you don't know about that are making the technological decisions for AI that are behind the scenes that you also don't know about need to be fucking careful. 
And there are a lot of laws that just don't exist because we can't comprehend the application of those laws. And it's, it's impossible at this point to vote or have any impact on those laws. I will close on this, and it's a thought that I have no data with which to support it. But I would bet that if you have anybody who works on one of these AI projects, so if you've got someone, in, an engineer that works on self-driving cars or an engineer that works on Alexa or any of those things, I would bet that the vast majority of people who work on an AI project at the consumer level would not want to own that, pro that, that, that item. That like an AI that work, like a guy that works on AI for self-driving cars would not want to own a self-driving car. And the person that creates the in-home attendant for AI would not want to have an in-home attendant AI device themselves. My bet is that the vast majority of people that do that. So what does that tell you about these products? If the people that are working on them most closely don't want them in their house or their life. Now, I have no data to support this, so I don't know if this is true, but I have a hunch that it is. Um, I think there's a really high probability of that, too. On that note, we're in agreement. And we're 32 minutes into this. Let's wrap. We got a comment here. User 1079285063589 says, Can you do me? And that note, we're out. James, you want to hang out for a little bit? Yeah. No, I'm going to refill drinks. Me, me as well. Adios, everybody. Thank you for making this far. I uh, appreciate you getting this deep into our discussion. So uh, let me know in the comments if you agree. If you have not already, please subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere that you are currently listening to this. Thanks. See you next time. I like PBR. I just got priced out of it.